This is the Things We Do podcast, a podcast about film, life, television, culture, mental health, and all of that fun, jazzy stuff. Today, I've got my special guest and friend all the way in LA, my friend Todd Jacobs. Hello, Todd. Hello. Hello. Um, <laughs> I, sh- I should just say good day. I need to keep the Aussie, Aussie accent going before I lose it. You do. You sound still very Australian. I do. I don't adapt to a accent as quick as some other people seem to. Really? But I have moments. I do have moments that that shake me to my core. <laughs> Give me a list of three words that you probably say. It's anything that ends in ERE. It's like there, where, here. Uh, the the R is much more pronounced in American. And every now and then, it's, it's, it hasn't happened a ton of times, but every now and then I'll just be like, oh, over there? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> I'm like, g'day, g'day, mate, mate, oi, oi, oi. I was like, I gotta get it back. Yeah, I don't know what it is about like the ERE words but they seem to slip into me faster than like other words seem to yeah i'm glad that i can mostly hold on to my aussie accent yeah well i'm i'm pretty impressed you've always been like very aussie considering how much like non-aussie television we actually consumed as children oh yeah like (laughs) it'd be interesting how much it really impacts ourselves as we grow up yeah i know um we've known each other for about seven years I know who you are pretty well now. Um, tell everyone in the wonderful ears a little about who you are and what you do. Uh, I am a dialogue editor. I do dialogue editing for post-production sound in film and television. And I worked uh, in music before then, but that seems like a lifetime ago at this point. Uh, lived in Australia working in the film industry, then pretty much immediately decided I'm going to move to LA and then worked my way over to LA and I've been in LA since July 2019, uh, officially, as like a work visa. I was studying, it's a whole process, but officially yeah. started work July 2019 in LA. And uh, and I've been here ever since, working as a dialogue editor. Which is nuts. Which is insane. The trajectory difference of career after moving here is absolutely stunning. Yeah. it's it, You know, this was something that we chatted about you doing for ages like um you know working in sound and post sound production and now it's like there because which just to me just goes uh-huh uh-huh that's like i don't know it was it, it was always kind of like astounding to me that like you know you i guess you don't see if it you don't have that sort of glow in australia we don't really have those opportunity career trajectories as fast. There's a ceiling. There's a there's a very clear ceiling, <laughs> which I found like immediately. <laughs> you dusted the cobwebs off it, and you went, "There it is. It's not hiding from me." It was because I, I interned at a studio in Sydney because mm. uh, there's not too many big post production studios. There's like Big Bang Sound, yeah. Trackdown. Um, so I got to intern, and yeah, it was almost immediately like, oh, they work on like a couple Hollywood films a year, which are the big budget. Like that's what really brings in the money. And everything else is just independent Australian stuff that doesn't really have that much funding. It's always undercut. Uh, people are always underpaid and overworked. Yeah. And this is the biggest studio or one of the biggest studios. It's like, so this is how far my career can go. I can enjoy maybe working on something very high quality twice a year if i'm lucky yeah um and i was yeah and it's it's very clear where the ceiling is and for some people that's totally fine and they can make it work but for me i just wasn't satisfied with that no 
And I mean, like, th- that is perfectly reasonable because I feel like there's some good stuff and there's definitely depends on the career and stuff you want, but definitely... Yeah, depending on the industry, I'm sure it can be totally different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, God, if you... You know, and this is the thing, I've spoken to many different people and, like, if you're an actor here, absolutely, if you want to get into Home and Away and, you know, and shows like that, there's career there for you. There's, like, they want regular cast members that they bring back every week. Um, but if you're like wanting particularly a challenge or something, you're not going to get as many challenges because the films that need challenge, the New South Wales Screen Australia people aren't really going to fund it unless they know someone's in it that is worthwhile and going to make a big dent in box office returns. Like it's very hard to get past all the um written paperwork and and shit behind the screens in terms of australia um and i've tried multiple times and it's still quite hard it's like you need to break in so many favors to make something work in australia versus like yeah and if you pitch an idea no one's going to really back it unless you go through an indiegogo or GoFundMe page or something like that in australia yeah Um, yeah there's no there's no self-sustaining industry like that, no one can invest money or produce something. Yeah, knowing that they're going to see a return on their investment, which will help to fund other things. So no one bothers doing it. Yeah. Um, and then everything becomes reliant on government grants and government funding, which is like it's useless. It's, it's like there's no that's not an industry. That's just waiting for the government to support you, which isn't that's not how a film industry should operate. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Um... Because that was something we were talking about ages ago, especially when we were sort of like making, um, like the context of the, of all this is Todd and I used to work together um, back when we were sort of both starting out. You had had a bit, a tiny bit more like field work experience um, doing short films, but we kind of met through mutual friends and then just went, hey, we're like hanging out. Also, hey, can I pay you a small amount to help me out and stuff? And that was kind of how we became friends, was like doing odds and ends, um, but also probably complaining about a lot of bad experiences that we yeah. <laughs> we used to be on set with. <laughs> like the shit that we had to deal with because we both were in post-production. Um, and that was kind of like where we related to. Um, but yeah, there was just a lot of like things that, you know, I think you and I, learnt about at the same time um which was just like how to deal with people how to deal with complex like weird sound location scenarios um but also how to deal with difficult people on set um because that was kind of like yeah, a which cr- i mean you had to deal with more than me <laughs> in, your, in your position for me as sound it's just like just don't like I, i'll interact with them for a lav and then they're usually satisfied with that it's like i don't have to get in their way <laughs> Yeah, I I picked a stupid career producing, so I had to deal with all the shit. Um, (laughs) But, I mean, like, one of the things that I remember sitting ages ago when we um, used to go and, like... Grab a coffee. And grab a coffee and and watch you edit something. Sometimes we used to go and, like, you'd show me a scene from a movie that you absolutely hated (laughs) working on. (laughs) Back when it was, like, low production stuff. And all I remember is your sheer rage stories of just... I hate this production. <laughs> yeah, well, it was a lot of like bigger. It, it felt like the bigger productions 
that I got on guy that I got involved in in Sydney. Yeah. It's just like the worst it got. Yeah. And it, it kept being like the quality seemed to go down because you know, their ideas were bigger than the budget that they were mm. getting, but they still wanted to do this bigger feature kind of film. Yeah. Uh, and it just, yeah, it never, it just never went well. I always felt like the short films I worked on had a better, I know, satisfaction rate of who I worked with than the features. Yeah. Though usually the features, it's just down to like directors or cinematographers or something having to deal with. And the rest of the crew are all pretty buddy, buddy. Cause they're all bonding over the same experience Yeah, of, Oh man, the director said you can't do that. What are they fucking thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the scenarios though, um, cause we did a string of interviews and like, I think the interesting thing was, like, unfortunately, no one's really seen these, and this is what the podcast turned into. <laughs> but I've almost interviewed all the original guests, which is kind of fantastic. So they've all gotten their stories <laughs> out. Um, but yeah, th- that started and kind of in a period of time where we were shooting in locations, and I'm, like, I was very new. So I was, I was very new. I was straight out of, um, like, a year out of uni or two years. I'd been working in uh, Channel 9 for the last, like, year and a half. So I didn't know that much. And a lot of the people I went to uni with um, had other jobs. So they couldn't help when it was something low paid. And I feel like that in itself was a learning experience because you kind of learn how to do things on your own and what works and what doesn't. And that taught me a lot. But it's interesting because I feel like the cost of living in Australia versus what actually people earn and what people can pay people, especially when it's independent, is so different. It's so different because people's rates is basically like a week's worth of income in a full-time job. Like, the it just doesn't weigh up. Like, you totally understand why people are like, well, this is my time, this is my cost of living, this is my equipment, you know, cost. Absolutely makes sense. But the cost of Sydney living versus the cost of hiring people on an actual steady wage is impossible you have to be a studio to do that and that's why a lot of people under in australia are actually poorly paid because the cost of living in sydney is so shit yeah it it also becomes like a race to the bottom of there's no set standard for what people should be paid so as a result you have people who will undercut others they'll you know undervalue themselves yeah to get a job uh and then and since all these productions need to save as much money as they possibly can, they're going to hire the cheapest person who says that they can do the same job as this other person who's asking for more of a, you know, actual wage. And it's just, and it just keeps going down from there. Cause there's no, I'm a big proponent of like unions, <laughs> and especially now that I'm in the union here and it's, it's incredible. Yeah. But there is like, when there's no one setting the standard of what people should be paid from top to bottom, then it's always going to end up getting cheaper and cheaper and paying less and less over time yeah and that's just how it's where it's gonna go and i know that there are unions or a union in australia yeah there are unions yeah, but there. it's the last that i knew was it was like a general media union it, there yeah. wasn't really anything specific to really join it was um funny because i remember hiring people off Ozcrew and stuff and they're all awesome but it was like called up Ozcrew and was like this is what i require of this person and they were like oh we don't have a category for that and i was like you what you don't have a category for charity shoots 
you serious? Like, and this was so dumb because I was like, what filing fucking system do you have? Um, and not to, not to shit talk unions or anything like that, but if you're a union, you'd have everything under the sun. You'd have all the, the standards of what people are required, like whether it's short films, um, you know, like low paid productions or anything like that. You'd have all categories and go, this is our standard cheapest rate. That this these people will work for. Yeah, or or it should start becoming that split of of this is a union job because this is the pay, this is the group, this is what's expected, and then you have non-union if you need to drop below that like standard. But it's yeah, it's weird to just not have any set idea. No, I know we're very bad actually. I I think it was also because this charity shoot we wanted to pay everyone a little bit less because the charity couldn't afford everyone's standard rate and we're trying to keep it in within budget. But and luckily everyone did take a pay cut and um, they were all super awesome about it. But one of the things was we calculated for the charity what everyone's actual rate would have been, and it would have been like three times what they could offer. And I was like, and the charity were just like, thank you for making it work. And I was like, no worries. But yeah, FYI, if you ever do a shoot like this again, this is the cost. And um, it's going to burn your bank account, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so it was, it, it was a learning curve for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, we ended up spending about $22,000 um, all up for a day shoot. And it was pretty, pretty worthwhile. Um, everyone got paid, um, including myself. So it was, it was quite a a reasonable scenario but it was very interesting because yeah there was no one um a couple of people who didn't know what their rates should be kind of guesstimated what their standard rate they didn't even look it up they were just like oh this is how much i think i'm worth and it's like maybe check it out before you can just randomly throw a price yeah it's always going to be less than they than it should be yeah or or, or or maybe a little bit more or they're just unsure of what their cost is going to be <laughs> it's like oh my god um yeah so there was a lot of like um i think all the kid actors got paid like nine dollars more than what they should have which was fine i was like yeah all right look, they'll get nine dollars more than what their rate would normally be but cool yeah they can they can put it in their dollar mate yeah. bank account or whatever <laughs> commonwealth bank used to do yeah i know right um but yeah, it's it's it, i totally agree with you i think there's no standard across australia um like even even when the the pandemic hit and JobKeeper became a thing, like so media is covered by a union and the entertainment agreement or um uh the you know the EBA or um uh, EA agreement um is basically that they they can't cut your cost or they can't cut your even if you're a full timer they can't cut your wage, but the company's still trying to do that, and it is. Technically, they found a way through loopholes to do that in in different places. So it doesn't matter what you do in industries; people were still getting paid less, because and getting paid off JobKeeper, and and the companies couldn't afford to pay people stock standard rates, which is insane. Like it's insane that a pandemic and and like the government weren't willing, but then the government were paying people on JobKeeper that were earning then suddenly more than what they would have been earning if they were working. Yeah, it always seemed... I mean, my entire experience with that is all being over here and just keeping up with Aussie news. Yeah. But it it definitely seemed like the... Like, the, there's a bit of... I mean, especially as you get up to governments, there's, like, a blind spot for how 
companies work and there's almost the assumption of like it's like trickle down economics kind of thing whereas the idea of you know hey all these people at the top you know they're they're good ones they'll you know make sure that it goes to the right places and it all comes down to the right areas and then yeah as as was seen during stuff like i think it was JobKeeper that did it where it was like all these companies that made profits in a pandemic year all got these uh, extra government funding through this thing <laughs> as well because of random loopholes whereas there are so many people and just individuals that got fucked up yeah uh, or people complaining that it's like hey why did this individual not working get paid this much money i was like i don't think that's a problem why did this this corporation who's like a set standard in the entire country get money out of this more money than this individual got paid when they already made profits yeah i mean that's been a that's like a world over issue that was shit that happened here and yeah just yeah, companies being as exploitative as possible because it's all about if you're worried you're going to lose money, you can't do that. Let's just hoard as much money as we possibly can. Yeah. And just assume, you know, uh, what is it? What's the thing? Um, do something and ask forgiveness later. Yeah. It's that kind of thing. They'll do it. And then if they get told to, you know, say sorry, it's never going to be as bad as how much they actually took. It'll be a fine that's like a fraction of it. Or in the Australian government's case, they're not even going to bother chasing them. No, God, no. They're going to just be like, wipe their hands clean of it and just go, all right, cool. Because um, the Australian government's fucking corrupt. Uh, but <laughs> I think everyone's learnt that from like this pandemic and everything. But I, I do totally agree. And I don't think like, you know, Centrelink or anyone else has really done the Australian public any benefit because the amount of stopping and starting on the economy and, you know, and just the fractured relationship with China at the moment, which, you know, kind of makes me eye roll because it's like, well, a bunch of our profit and a bunch of our trading came from China as well. So why are we suddenly burning bridges with them? Like during the massive pandemic that we've got going, how about we ally ourselves with as many people as we can to keep our economy going. Also, also, I remember finding it weird where it's like there, there are legitimate things to to take issue with, yeah, and human rights issues and all sorts of stuff. But it was like that didn't even seem to be the reason why shit was getting kicked up. No, nah. like as far as what I was reading, it was almost like the reasoning for burning these bridges and causing trade issues. It's like that shit doesn't matter. That's what you're getting upset over. Just like you can work around it there are other serious horrific issues to take up with them that you're not even talking about <laughs> no and and that's the thing like they the amount of i watched a great documentary about like the one child policy in in china and everything like that and it was just it's awful it's like one of the most barbaric things that has happened and the fact that that is overlooked in terms of like Oh, you know, and everyone goes, oh, like, you know, um, the Wuhan flu or anything like that. I'm like, you guys need to understand that as a political country, yes, they're f as fucked as anywhere else. But also, we're cutting trading deals, as you say, for no other reason than we just want to. Like, can we just have a legit discussion with the leaders over there of what we have issues with and try and sort of go, look, culturally, we're quite different in how we approach things. Um, and also, your government's pretty corrupt. So can we work out a way of not 
you know, causing issue and then maybe not stepping in and trying to cause problems as well. Because I feel like all the... Sorry, I was, was going to say, why, is, why hasn't anyone come up with that solution? It's like, they should just walk into a room and say, I suck, you suck, we both know it, let's just join. Like, we've got shared common interests that we both just treat people horribly. <laughs> yeah. It should be a bonding experience. I think it's just like, it is It is a circus. Although I, I will say that about almost every government until like, um, you know, until Trump got elected out. In which case, you know, um, Biden's been a massive change of pace to the government in America. Um, but before that, it was just completely a circus in most Western countries. That like Boris Johnson, Scott Morrison, Donald Trump. It's just like so. The Three Stooges decided to run the Western worlds. Like what the actual fuck? Like I had no <laughs> comprehension of that political group. And watching them all together, I was like, you guys are morons. Like. They were all morons, and I don't know, like, the fact that even Trump got elected ever um, was astounding to me, because he's had, like, so many failed businesses. Oh, I can I can totally see why, why that happened. Oh, really? Yeah, I think it makes sense. Just, like, because all, at least in this country, uh, speaking about the US, even though I have an Aussie accent, <laughs> uh, <laughs> since voting isn't mandatory, yeah. then uh, all you need is just apathy. Just make voters apathetic, and it, and as far as you know, studies go, that hits Democrats harder than it hits Republicans being apathetic about voting. Uh-huh. Um, and with the Democratic Party, it's it's split in the way that you have a lot of factions within it: progressives, you have moderates, all that kind of stuff. So if you just make enough voters apathetic towards the entire process, then they're just not going to bother voting because they don't have to. They're not going to get fined. Who's going to make them? <laughs> And then you put in uh, someone like Hillary, who was like seen as more of the same because everyone was rallying behind Bernie and the idea of progressiveness was a big thing. Yeah. And then, it, yeah, everyone just got apathetic and didn't give a fuck. And adding on to that, similar to Brexit, most people just didn't think it would actually happen. No, I know. And then it happened because people were lax and they were like, I mean, this is never going to pass. So why should I give a fuck about how I vote or what I should do? <laughs> and then and then it happens. It's like, oh, shit. Uh, I didn't think this would happen. What? You know, my favorite thing is that's the exact same thing as what happened when like Turnbull's government got in and everyone was like, oh, Labour will get this for sure. And everyone was like, oh, this will be over by 8 p.m. Labour's going to get in. It's going to be great. And then it was over like midnight. And they were like, yeah, Liberal liberal government win. And we're like, you fucking for real? <laughs> but yeah, it was a lot of people just going, like a lot of people donkey voted. Yeah, donkey voting. And I'm sure that, I mean, I'm I'm in support of voting for smaller parties. Yeah. But I know that sometimes the uh, the pre- preferential voting, like I, there was something after one of the elections where they found that like you could vote for the sex party and then as you whittle down the preferences, it ended up going to liberal anyway, just because one preference to another party, their preference to another party, their preference to another party. It just ended up in the complete opposite space that you would want it to. <laughs> Yeah, like those are the kind of reforms that should be happening. Yeah, is, you know, shoring up preferential so you know where your vote's going to end up if your party doesn't doesn't get through. But no, nah. no. Why would we do that? That might help democracy. No, that's the easy solution to help democracy. Such an easy solution. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, I I think it's also in Australia we don't really research the smaller parties at all no i love doing it oh my god there are some weirdos out there it's amazing my favorite is how misleading the names are like it's like the bicycle party weren't actually like 
were about something else, not bicycles. Like they just come up with absurd names so that people don't think twice. And they just go, yeah, yeah, they're supporting bicycles. It's like, no, the sex party do not support <laughs> all safe sex. Like, they're, like you know, like it's fucked up names or shit like that. And they're just going, why? What is your, you know, like the animal party or something? And probably beat animals to death. Like, who knows? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah. The animal party is because we don't want any more animals. Anyway. Yeah. It's like absurd. <laughs> it's just, uh, there, it was like two federal elections ago or something when I was looking through the parties. Yeah. And one of them that has been my favorite ever since I saw it was the Stop the Greens party. <laughs> and which I loved. I think they had a hashtag at the start of their name as well. They were, they were very on it. Yeah. But it was all in caps as well. Their official... Like, electoral name was in all caps, Stop the Greens Party. And I looked at their website, and they they fashioned themselves as, like, the Greens are useless. We're a better Greens Party than the Greens Party. We want to stop them because they're just wasting blah, blah, blah. But when you looked at their policies, it was shit like, yeah, we should be allowed to drive our Range Rovers through national parks and, like, protected areas. We should allowed to be allowed to own any pets we want, regardless of what type of animal it is. It was just the most, like, anti-environmental safety party I'd ever read. I just loved it. I thought, I was like, this is amazing. They're, they're so weird, and they're so ridiculous. Oh my god, that's actually the best. Yeah. That's, that's a, a note to everyone who's probably gonna listen to this long after the federal election happens next year <laughs> i mean uh from when we're recording to when it releases but uh, <laughs> but go to the australian electoral website yeah. aec dot something uh they have a whole list of the parties every single list of the federally registered parties just spend a spend a night have a cup of <laughs> a glass of wine go through the different parties find one that's just fucking weird you know when the, when is the election this year i think it's like may i think it's supposed to be may i am probably going to be working it um lo and behold but it's like, it'll be my first federal election at seven. And so I'll learn. I've done federal elections before. But yeah, it's always kind of just the thing of just everyone dreads them till they happen. They're like, nah, fuck this shit. Because it's like so busy because you have a camera operator at every party mm-hmm. just stationed in case they win like a seat. Because it's so hard to kind of know. So everyone's everyone's booked that night. Like everyone is going out and doing something and... Yeah, it's it's nuts because you get interviews with everyone. It's just like, oh my god, yeah, you got to cut you, and everyone's got a slot time. Like you get a sheet of what time your hits are from network to network to network. So ABC get a hit time, seven get a hit time, nine get a hit time, ten get a hit time, SBS get a hit time, and they all kind of like. What do you mean by hit time? What does what does hit time mean? So like cross time, like when they go live with that person at you know um so it's like their hit time is oh yeah you're sharing the party member yeah you're sharing the talent so (laughs) you all got a certain hit that you've got to reach and you can't go past the five minute window like otherwise they're going to take um the audio from you and it's just like are you kidding (laughs) so it's actually really stressful because you're like okay we're going to them now and then they do but it's it's probably one of the funnest nights because you're always attentive and you're always on your toes and it's like I think in the back of your head, you just you're also going. If you hate a politician, you you've not got to say like you're a fuckwit on the comms or anything like that. <laughs> you got to be really respectful to everyone um, because they're very like precious people. And um, but it's amazing how many people swear behind the scenes and they go, "Oh fuck this person, fuck fuck fuck." And it's like everything's like it's so funny because like news is one of the most stressful things, but yet it's over. It's over really quickly. It's like. 
over in a flash mm-hmm. um, once it happens. It's just the stress of getting it done is is the thing because you want to be the first person to put it out to the world when you hear something. Oh yeah, be the be the one that breaks the news. Yeah, there's always like break the news, and it's and it's funny because realistically, everyone kind of finds out news at different points, and I always kind of like go, yeah, whatever. But um, yeah, I've sometimes found out news through television, and then sometimes found it out through Twitter. And Twitter's mind you saw it where it's like, oh, this person died. Like I actually found out Prince Philip died via Twitter. That was how I found out. I didn't even watch television to find out he died. Um, I was like, oh no. <laughs> oh well. Guess that's a thing. Um, and I'll probably find out how the Queen dies the exact same way. Oh, uh, what what a what a tragedy that will be. <laughs> I I would gen- I would generally miss it because I love I just, I just want to point out that whole uh the the like Harry and Meghan interview. I remember the the only thing I kind of like caught in it was anything that had to do with with the Queen. All these these like racist things is like, was it her? Is like, did you just leave without telling her? And he and Harry was like, no, I have way too much respect for my for my nan to do that. And I was like, fuck yeah, you do, because the Queen's great. Long live the Queen. Everyone else in that family is fucked and awful and horrible, and they're getting out and good for them. But I'm glad that he like still spoke nicely of the Queen because she's just a nice little nan. Yeah, because she's not perfect, but. It's like different. Everyone else is fucking corrupt. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sure there's stuff about the queen and me saying it. I don't know it, and someone's gonna tell me, and then I'll be like, ah, well, fuck. But meh. <laughs> in my ignorance is bliss mind. It's like the queen's <laughs> just a nice little old lady surrounded by all these crazies, <laughs> farm and corgis. Um, I'm gonna bring us back though to yeah, yeah. <laughs> you doing audio and, and film related stuff. Oh, I can I can tie this back in. I can tie this back in. Oh, really? Did you see? Did you see the Australian government uh, video promoting post-production in Australia? No. Well, <laughs> I will I will send you a link after we're done. But uh, it was basically like a, an ad to entice Hollywood over to Australia for their post-production. Because Australia does a lot of production. Um, and it varies, depending. But yeah, it was a lot of like, we've got rebates. We've got tax incentives and stuff like that. Uh, that video is such a load of bullshit. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, one, the the American producer, the entire video, they basically portray them as like, mo- like a golem, money grubbing, <laughs> like. But I only care about money. What's the money? Can I? Can I? Like, can I cheap out in this? Can I be a cheap asshole doing that in Australia? And the, and Australia's like, yes, you can. <laughs> and and they talk about like their talent, and they say we have like great talent, which is true. And that's kind of one of the the frustrating issues is there's so much talent in Australia. Uh, but what they don't talk about are the things that matters, which is internet connection. Because if it takes you a day to download something from another country and work on it, and then it takes you another day to upload it, if you're not on, you know, fiber gigabit internet in your specific location, mm. um, no one in Hollywood's going to want to deal with you. No. Because you're already a day ahead in the time zone. So deadlines are where you need to be, like supervisors need to be aware of that. And sometimes turnovers are really quick. It's like uh, like stuff that I've worked on. It's like, hey, we've got this new version that we're uploading to you tonight. Uh, just work overtime, get paid overtime, and conform it to the new version, and then send it back to us because it's due tomorrow. Yeah. You can't do that if they're working with Australia. You can't do that at all because the deadline's going to fly by. And the minute that that happens then you're not going to want to be dealt with because why would they when they can just work in LA uh, unless those rebates and those tax incentives are wildly, you know, screwing over Australian industry. But yeah, it's, it's, 
It's wild. So there you go. Tying it back around. Government stuff. Hollywood, film, post-production, we're all back there. We're all good. I love that. I mean, I don't love that, though, because that's kind of, like, the problem. There's, issue, there's issues in it, yeah. There's so, it's like a can of worms. But, I mean, like, you you specifically left because of the glass ceiling that you were see, seeing or, the like, at least the roof that you knew the industry was and then you moved over and studied because that was the only way you could get a job, wasn't it? The, that, was, that was, yeah, my pathway to immigration was... Uh, I was working for a studio in the US uh, that I had met when I initially came over looking for work opportunities and I was just working remotely for them um, because time wasn't, you know, too bad. But that was where I learned the upload and download time can really impact you. Mm. And then I uh, got a grad degree doing sound design in Savannah, Georgia at Savannah College of Art and Design. And by completing a grad degree, the government basically gives you, I mean, you put in paperwork but the government gives you a visa to work for one year in your field that you studied. Um, so that was what I did. And then I used that, moved to LA, worked for a year and then got the next visa. And now I'm waiting on a green card potentially, which is mind blowingly lucky and incredible that I even have the opportunity to get a green card. Yeah. Cause green card, how long is that kind of for? It's forever. Oh shit. So the green card is like, I mean, that means, that means no more visas, which is such a, lift of financial burden to not have to pay for visas anymore if i get this green card touch wood yeah so it's like then unlimited years until the day you drop dead pretty much yeah the only the only things like it's not citizenship yeah so i don't have to vote which is fine because i don't want to be a citizen here i I like voting in australia and keeping up with australian Mm. uh, politics and i can still get deported okay um whereas if i was a citizen then they can't deport you because you're a citizen so the they're pretty much the only things that are the difference between a green card yeah. and citizenship. But it means that I can freely come to and from the country and just have my green card. It means I can work in any field that I want. I could leave the film industry and work in something else on a green card, and it's totally fine. Whereas right now, I'm only allowed to work in my industry because that's what my work visa is. Right. That's awesome. It's like it's like permanent residency yeah. being allowed because I'm technically not a resident. I'm just allowed to work here. Like I'm not a resident of the U.S., and I'm not a resident of Australia because I left. I'm I'm just allowed to work. Yeah. It's a really weird, like, classification. It's a very dehumanizing classification <laughs> of, like, no, you don't belong to any country. You aren't a resident anywhere. We just let you work here and give you board <laughs> kind of thing. But, yes, yeah, so that was my, my pathway. And it's been amazing. Like, even the three months that I came over here to see whether op- work opportunities were worth it. Mm. Uh, and a friend of mine who had already moved here and was working as a composer and still is, uh, he was the one who convinced me and was like, oh, you have to come here. Yeah. Like, he, he he said all these things that sounded, like, magical and, like, wow, you just called someone and they, they offered you something even though they didn't know you. Like, it sounded ridiculous. And then I came over for the three months and that's exactly what happened. It was the most insane thing. People in the sound industry are so friendly and they're so helpful. Yeah. Even if they can't help you, they still want to give you advice and, and try and get you in touch with someone who could help you. It's it's really weird that people are that nice because that's not this experience in Australia and not because Australia is, you know, full of you know, hateful assholes or anything. Yeah. It's just the work isn't there. Like people don't want to let go of any of the work that they have because they need it. If they give up work, they're giving up money for that month or that week. Yeah. And why would anybody do that? Whereas here there's just so much work and people are like, oh, you want to do this this job for me that I just hate doing? Well cool, take it. 
do it. I would love you to do it. And it's it's been real amazing in such a different environment to work in. Yeah, I think it's also why, yeah, we have a very strange perspective in, in Australia and you end up either doing a lot yourself in terms of post work. Like I remember that was something that I learned to do a lot of the stuff myself and what I couldn't do, I would ask favors to get help with. And it was always like, when you ask favors, it means you have to kind of wait around people's other jobs because obviously time constraint and everything. But yeah, it's it's very interesting because there's always things that you learn and then there's always things that, you know, you hate about doing stuff. Like um, I know, I know like a lot of people here, uh, yeah, just don't have the luxury or jobs just don't come up. They just kind of go, I got a job and then it was six months and I didn't have another job. And then another job came up and it's like, mm-hmm. doesn't matter how hard they're searching. They're just like, people here are not willing to help you as much. Like they're very much like, nah, we're full. All right, are you going to keep me on your list? Mm, maybe. Cool, okay. <laughs> Put you in a filing cabinet. Yeah, and forget about you. Like the amount of times that's happened. Yeah, yeah, it's like a, it's like the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, it just goes into that giant facility, and just gets put with everything else. That's kind of similar to how they talk about New York here, um, which I re, which I realize. So a lot of what I'm saying when I talk about U.S. industry, it is very L.A. specific because that's the bulk of the experience and where I work. Mm. But um, anecdotally, I've heard that New York is sort of similar, where it's a bit more tight knit. It's a bit harder to get into. Um, the same level of work there mm. because there's because there's less post-production there still big studios still a lot of work but people are more likely to just want to hoard the work because they need it and they don't want to go months without working whereas la is just kind of like a giant open like smorgasbord of whatever you want yeah uh, for the sound industry at least it, <laughs> yeah it's it, here it's very much like you've either got a really hustle and bustle or you'll disappear into the background. Yeah, and like you said, you got to do a lot of jobs. Like, the only reason I did location sound so much is because it was the only way that I was able to get a lot of post-production jobs. Because mm. the people who got you on location, they haven't worked out post yet, and that was kind of the easiest way to just get post-production work. Yeah. Whereas here, like, I'm focused on one specific job, and that's it. It's not even... It's just a one cog in the machine of this whole post-production sound industry. Mm. And... And I could do this job forever and live off the income with it without a problem, which is wild to think about. Like, that's insane. And I think it's like, um, so <laughs> what, was, what did you say to me recently? You were just like, I think it was like when we uploaded um, one of the projects that we sort of like filmed ages ago. And it was like one of the um, Doctor Who things and we uploaded it to YouTube and you were you were just like, I don't know how the um, sound design will be, but the dialogue is schmick. <laughs> and that was all I got. And I was like, I was like, I can hear that dialogue crisp as day. Don't you worry. Hell yeah. Um, because I feel like the thing, you were one of the first people I, kn- I met who was very into sound quality and stuff. So it was like, I think for me, that was such an important thing, which a lot of people negated as being important. They were like, oh, we'll just get it in post or we'll just record that later. And I remember every set experience I've been on, I'm just like, what would have Todd said? What would have Todd flagged? <laughs> and then flagged those things. Like, oh, no, nah, that's too echoey. No, nah, this doesn't you know, sound right. No, nah, just like put carpet down. Um, and it was amazing 
like how many people just went, oh, okay. And they didn't know because sound was something that no one ever thought about. Yeah, even though it's like half the half the what a film is yeah i know visual and audio it's 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 wild which is still is still a thing that i hear here yeah as well like it's not like here is a a mecca for everything i hear problems with location sound when i work dialogue there are some locations that just sound so rough and so awful yeah but uh but yeah but i think the difference is australia felt like oppressive with it it was like everything you would work on you would deal with it Unless you had someone like you who've experienced like what sound can do and what difference it can make. So as a producer or as a director, you're making those changes, which is amazing. And I loved it so much. In, whereas here, it's like, yeah, you can have a bit of that, you know, people not knowing what they're doing or people who just don't really consider sound. But there's so much content that there's a lot of other people who know what they're doing mm. and will make stuff sound real good. Like what I'm working on currently... um in the first season, which I didn't work on, they talked about, you know, there was some location sound that they just weren't happy with how it was recorded for pretty much every episode. So the, so they just got rid of the location person and got someone new and better. And I was like, wow, you didn't just deal with it. <laughs> you, they listened to you. The production listened to you as, as a sound person saying, hey, we want to replace this person because it's causing issues. And they did it. Oh, my God. And it made it better, objectively better. It's like quality is so important. And it's like, I don't know, there's there's so few sound recordists in Sydney that are consistently like talked about. Um, and I, you know, I remember when it was like I met you and then the other one I knew is Nathan Bell. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows him because he worked around like so many different productions but he's just so good at what he does. He's very quick. He's very knowledgeable and he does it and he does it very well. But, you know, the fact is you just don't get that level of quality through a lot of like people because they don't take it seriously enough in Sydney or, um, or, you know, like sometimes you do, but a lot of people kind of like become the jack of all trades. So therefore they don't understand what quality is of a, you know, like, you know, make sure you can hear all the characters and make sure you can hear all the dialogue and make sure it doesn't sound echoey and it sounds clean and it's not like a lapel mic issue and it's not scratching and it's not like, you know, you hear everything. And it, it's just amazing how many people negate all that importance. Yeah. And it's also rough when you're working on something and then the quality of it gets diminished because of someone above you making decisions it's like, well, shit, my name's still going to be on it, and I just got to try and do the best I can. But these decisions are actively harming my work quality. Yeah, I know. And then you got to deal with that, which is which is also rough. Yeah, I think it's like um, I'm I'm trying to think of the worst ever sound conditions I've ever dealt with. I don't think we we had a lot of planes when we were filming together. Oh yeah, we had a lot of planes which 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 we worked around, but I don't think we ever had location that was particularly impossible to work with we we had one scene we did have a train nearby and that was always quite funny to see in the background because you could see it through the trees when the train went past (laughs) um but the way it's edited you would never know there was a a train line in the background or anything like that that was like amazingly say um salvaged but i mean like that also is a credit to our skills 
because we're very good at covering things up and fixing things and making it work. And there's a lot of, I don't know, I've worked on some short films, um, and I won't name names, but I've both Todd and I have worked on some shocking content, <laughs> and it's it's not necessarily our work that gets diminished, it's the work that we're given. Because when you work in post-production or you work on location sound and you don't work in a visual sense and you don't have a lot of say in how it comes together, mm-hmm. it's kind of very disappointing when you sometimes see the final product and you go, oh, yeah, as you say, like, my name's going to be on that. <laughs> and it looks like that. Yeah. Which is also sucks in Australia because it's, it's like because of the lack of work, it's almost like every single thing is a real potential. Yeah. It's like something to potentially be in a real. And then when so much of it just has problems and especially with sound problems and issues and stuff that's just not being listened to or bad locations because they didn't ask you about the locations beforehand. Yeah. And then it's like, well, I can't use any of this. So I've, I've like, I got paid not enough and I don't have anything of quality to add to a reel to show off and get better work. Yeah. It's just this, it's uh, it's (laughs) awful. It sucks. But I mean, like, where did this journey start out for you? Because you have an extent, you started music. Um, Was that originally your guide to go into? Yeah, it was a bit because I did music for a few years and did a gig guide and then just kind of gave up on that because it it just wasn't going anywhere. A lot of similar issues in different like arts areas in Australia. And then I was just kind of kicking around for a couple, like a few months working out what I should do. Uh, And then I remembered in the music degree we had to do basically a sound design slash music replacement for a film. Mm. And I was so into it that I just shot my own short film and did all the sound design to it and everything. And I was so into it and I loved making it. And I was like, well, I enjoyed doing that. I did really well on that project. So maybe I should just go into sound for film. And then I did. <laughs> and that was that was the decision. It was either that or I was going to go back to, to university and study into uh, like biology. <laughs> And be a biologist. Those are the those are the two things I was good at in school: music and biology. <laughs> that is the complete opposite of career choices that I can imagine you doing. Yeah, yeah. Like after all the conversations we've had, and you're like mm, thinking about biology, and it's just like what? <laughs> like why? <laughs> but no, that's, I mean, like, I guess I know we talk a lot about like music and stuff, but I mean, like we. We sort of met on a very odd film as well. Yeah, I was about to say, which film do we meet on? Because I remember, because we already knew each other by the time we were doing the comedy sketches. Yeah, it was was it um, Lucas's film? Oh, shit, it was, because you edited it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> waiting, right? Yes, Waiting. I don't, I don't even know if it's possible to even find that anywhere to watch. I have it. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I've got it. I've got it, like, on a hard drive. <laughs> But yeah, that was such like a like an experimental, like weird, yeah, surreal film, and and I I know that I've watched it within the last like couple of years, and just thought like, oh man, I can really tell this is like one of my first <laughs> films I worked on. It's, it's okay, <laughs> it's okay. I remember initially, I was brought on later. I was brought on much later because the original editor. Yeah, something fell apart with that. Yeah, there was uh, there was a lot of contention about like the direction of the film. And I had many discussions with Lucas, the director, and uh, said to him, basically, like, it's too long. One of the things was it was 10 minutes originally in length. And oh, I could see what he was trying to create. The limitations of what he was doing with the, you know, the choices that he had sort of made on such a low budget made it very kind of hard 
to work out because it was it was shot entirely with just um you know natural light stuff situations and and the camera and and stuff like that and like um our friend Sage who um did the DOP work and like it's all fine but you could kind of tell that it was a lot of new people f- trying something for the first time yeah because that was all just an unpaid thing as far as I I mean I wasn't paid <laughs> no <laughs> I, I wasn't paid either um and then <laughs> and I just remember like watching it at the end and just going look it's okay it's not the worst thing I've ever made um it's certainly not the best but it's not the worst thing um but I definitely learned a lot about quality um and timing from that that was something I very much learned um from because yeah when getting notes and we did we did um we did brothers together uh we did uh what else did we do together we did uh the doctor who scenes together yeah we did all the the old old who versus new who stuff which you can find on youtube um i mean there's also so much stuff that we talked about which i think is what what throws me off it's like there's so many projects that we talked about and that didn't come to fruition, or I was already in the process of coming here by the time that they even potentially could have been done. So yeah. I had to like remove myself. It's it's kind of funny as well because you're my like go to person if I ever go, Todd, Todd, I need some sound post sound help with. Have a look at this. Tell me if th- what's wrong with it, and you'll just go, Yep, sure, <laughs> like do it. But I mean, like, yeah, we we worked on quite a few things together, and I think a lot of the things we worked on together didn't get released oh, like all the old who first knew who stuff is on youtube you can go and find that and oh and the comedy sketches that i mentioned i mentioned before i think my favorite even though it's not like perfect and i wasn't there actually to direct it was the burglar one um because it is just hilarious but um there's it's still a couple of issues with it because of the way it's shot and i'm not loving it. facing just... facing a big reflective door yeah it's it just don't. That's one thing that i remember is like yeah we're, we're all like you can just see everyone in this reflective door that was really funny it's it's kind of like my 101 because i i when we were doing these sketches i had to go to work so i was like stuck <laughs> and left but i mean like one of all the things that i think i'm sort of like they all kind of ticked stages of boxes of where we were at and what we knew we could achieve with sort of like the the sort of like set time and kind of like our skill knowledge. So it was like very interesting because a lot of the people we were dealing with were newer to it than we were. So we were kind of giving them advice to make their product better and either they were taking it on board or not. And we like, we ended up helping with a couple of trailers and stuff like that. We were, um, and I think um, it was funny, like, I remember starting, like, when I was talking to people about it, everyone was like, oh, you and Todd do this. And it's like, I, I kind of, a lot of people kind of grouped us into a box <laughs> of together. Like, uh, we're the post-production team. <laughs> it's like, we don't run a studio. <laughs> like, But that was kind of the thing of, um, yeah, because we spend a lot of our personal time and, and, and work time together, we were kind of like, I had a lot of friends talking to me about us as a duo of doing post-work together. I, I guess because we would reference each other or I would definitely go, oh, yeah, Todd does sound like he's got a busy schedule at the moment, but I'm sure if he gets time, he can chip in when he can. Yeah, because I think when you meet someone that you work well with who takes on advice, who who like you have an understanding of how the other person's job is and you try and accommodate that, uh, especially in an industry like Sydney, I think you just 
you just grab on you're like we're just gonna do everything together yeah we trust each other's work and i think it was also kind of interesting because we both knew like originally back then i was i was also kind of playing going to england and working over there and that didn't ever come to fruition which you know i'm not i'm not sad about but it I definitely like um because a lot of great things have happened in sydney but it, it does go to show that like because of all those experiences that we had you're still someone who i go hey todd um if you've got like five minutes just take a look at something because i know both of us are so busy that it's like we're very good at like separating work and having a quick look at something to kind of check that it's okay. Yeah. Because yeah. we both kind of, it's it's very compartmentalizing. And I don't think a lot of people have that skill where they just go, we're very good at understanding where everyone, like kind of people's workloads. Because we, you know, the thing is like Todd was already in LA, had been in LA for two years at this point when one of the Doctor Who scenes got released, the old Who first knew Who, and fixed up the dialogue and sound design within i think two months oh yeah i did that i did that last pass over it yeah because uh yeah and then it, and it was two months because i was just kind of doing it around around the work that i i was doing yeah but yeah i, I was glad that i was able to because it sucks when you leave something halfway done like we were because you had to film some extra things yeah um yeah i was really glad that i was able to come back on and be like sweet i'll go back over this and check it again it was quite funny as well because i remember uh, i think that's one of the things that skyrocketed um the you know, and and why we still try and make them is, <laughs> which is all the YouTube comments that I keep reading that just go, God, the professionality of this thing, the qu- quality of it is great. I'm like, yeah, because actually, there's people who behind the scenes and know what the fuck they're doing, not the students. <laughs> We're like professional people, but it's it's one of those things that those films were like cut corners. We did we did have to obviously, you know have cheap or unpaid situations where it was like it wasn't paid you know oh yeah because it was just it, it wasn't a profit making thing if it and i think i remember i was talking about films that if we were to do something that we knew would make a pro, um, a profit back we would do like some sort of deal payment between us so it wasn't entirely like time was wasted on either of us and i think that's the thing that you and i have been very good at we've both had steady careers when you know someone for like as long as we've known each other the pay doesn't become an issue as much it's not an important factor as much as just kind of doing a good quality job and or going is this worth my time or is it not worth my time it's kind of weighing it up like to go is the quality going to add something to my career or is it just going to kind of like be a nice thing that i can help out a friend with and then move on with yeah yeah and also the understanding of like you know a deadline. Yeah. Like the deadline on on the uh, that old who new who episode, um, was very handy because it was like there was a, there was a time that you wanted it to be done, but it was pretty far in advance. So it was like, oh yeah, I can make this work. If it was anything closer, then it would have been like, uh, like I, I can't. I'm sorry. It's like we got to work around what we got. So I was glad that it worked out that way. It was quite funny as well because I think that, like I place a deadline on it but literally if you couldn't have made those deadlines i'm like all right it's going to be delayed by like two months <laughs> make, we'll make the deadline because i feel like you get into this point where you enjoy working with someone and also doing a lot of these low things is they don't require deadlines they don't require um like at the moment we did tiktok ones we did you know and people laughed those up on tiktok um they loved them um and I uploaded other ones that were the actual scenes that we filmed back in 2017 and 2018. And people loved them as well. So it's really kind of like, it's amazing what you can kind of cheat 
with doing things in lockdown and making content and making good quality content for people out there. And I've, I think that's something that both you and I strive for is to make good content versus, you know, an enjoyable content for people rather than a lot of, you know, the Australian standard, which is just kind of like making very bad reality shows. choices. Like it's a lot of that. It's a lot of like bad decisions, bad choices and everything like that. And I feel like, is is the, have you had the opportunity because you've worked on shows where you grew up watching as well now? Oh yeah, is that should should we have started the episode by saying what I worked on? Or what yeah, I worked well, look, on? we're we're not we didn't really yeah, sell, my, I didn't really sell myself in my intro. I was like, <laughs> I do dialogue and I live in LA. I, I didn't say what I actually worked on. That would have been good to do. Um, yeah, so you you worked on quite a few shows that you grew up watching. Yeah, I. Because the studio that I initially worked for and did a bunch of work for, that was Hallmark and Lifetime Christmas movies mm. and thrillers on the Lifetime channel, which everybody loves. Uh, and it was it was wild working on them because they're so sickly sweet. Uh, and then worked my way up into the union. And my first union job uh, was with Universal Studios working on the Cowboy Bebop live action, which for us recently released on Netflix and for anyone who's listening... Was cancelled <laughs> very quickly. Why? Do you know why it was cancelled? Uh, not enough retention time, as far as I know. Like, a lot of people kind of tuned in. Like, this is all, you know, just guesstimates on news reports. But I think it was like, there was a lot of people who watched it initially, like, you know, binged a few episodes. But then in following weeks, didn't kind of follow through on the rest. It didn't have retention time. Like, more people just continually watching it week after week. Yeah. Um, and new people coming on to watch through the season. So I think between that stuff, also because of the cost of it, because there's a bunch of stuff that Netflix will make and they'll make seasons of it, even though it's like not as high a quality. But that's also the reason is Cowboy Bebop cost a lot more money because there's a lot of gunshots, there's a lot of action, there's a lot of stuff going on. And it just didn't make back the numbers that they wanted for something that costs so much money. Yeah. But yeah, like I, I grew up watching the anime. I Even before I knew I was working on it, I saw the week that the seatbelts who are the band that record the music for the for the original anime and this new live action uh they released like re-recordings of their songs and the week that they released it i knew they released it because i love the band so much and i follow them and i listened to the shit out of it and then it was like a few months later i found out that i'm gonna work on it as the dialogue editor it's like this is this is amazing this is so incredible i get to work on this i get to have my name in the credit of it it wasn't some like uncredited whatever. It's like my name's in the credits on on almost all the episodes because I think I only didn't work on one of them. Oh wow! And that's um and it's amazing. And it's like it originally started as like I'll work on two or three episodes, and then it turned into I worked on nine out of ten episodes, and two or three of those episodes I edited like group ADR for. I like edited the grunts for the fights in like the final episode and stuff like that. I was like. When you see them fighting, if you hear like a, Ugh, I edit, I specifically chose that placement to edit that in there. And then I went from that and uh, now I work on Law and Order Criminal Intent with uh, Stabler, with Elliot Stabler. And I watched SVU a shit ton growing up all the time. And now I'm editing Christopher Maloney's dialogue and I'm editing like Olivia Benson dialogue when she's in episodes and stuff like that. It's just, it's great how does dialogue editing work though what's it, what does it naturally entail for you i'm essentially prepping the dialogue tracks of production sound for the mixer so i'm going through the episode after they've edited it 
Uh, usually it's like a soft lock. It's always a soft lock. There's always more versions that they need to do. And then I get all the edit. I pick the microphones that sound the best and the cleanest. I organize the tracks in a way that makes sense for the mixer. So I'm usually working off of a mixer's template to have it how they want it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just I'm just going through finding uh, alternate takes. If there's you know a line where someone banged something off camera over the top of a word, then I'm going to go through different takes and find that word and I'm going to edit that word in so it looks seamless and clean and like there was no additional like gross sound that shouldn't be in there. Um, adding in room tone so that if you play the dialogue track, it just sounds consistent. Like there's room noise, natural room noise in every single scene. Even though when you look at the edit, that is not the case at all. Mm. Uh, and yeah, and then I, that's pretty much my job is I just make sure that the dialogue is is at level. It sounds clear that nothing is unintelligible. And if it is, that I fix it. And if it can't be fixed, then it gets ADR'd. And, and my goal is just to have as little ADR as possible. So the the actors don't have to spend more time, and the studio doesn't have to pay more money for it, and yeah, and that's pretty much my job, which is great. It's not like the most creative area of post sound industry, but I love it. I love it so much, and apparently it's the job that most people hate doing because it's so tedious and it's so not uh, creative. But I'm I'm all about it, which is great because apparently if you're a good dialogue editor, you'll never short for work because nobody wants to do dialogue editing so if you're a good one everyone wants you that's great though like i find dialogue especially in some movies so unintelligible and i'm like what the fuck are they saying like sometimes i feel bad for dialogue editors and stuff like that because sometimes it may not be their their fault like tenant like i know that there was a big backlash on that and then christopher nolan stood by his choices with the mix and that was all talked about as a mix problem and and maybe it was, maybe it was just their decision that they wanted it mixed that way, so it was lower and less intelligible. Maybe there were issues on set, maybe the dialogue editor just couldn't make stuff work because of how it was mic'd, which seems weird because it's like a Hollywood big budget film, so they're going to be talented. Yeah. So it all just comes down to like, maybe it was just mixed, and it's like, that's too bad for the dialogue editor who probably put in a lot of work. Yeah. That just wouldn't get heard and or understood. I mean, like, also I find... It's interesting because I don't love Tenant. I think it's a very un- overrated film. I haven't actually watched it. <laughs> I'm, I'm real. I'm. I've been real bad with with modern movies. I've watched. I've been watching a shit ton of movies over the last two years. Uh, very little of them have been recent modern movies. Look, are you a Christopher Nolan fan? Yeah, he's fine. Yeah. Okay. Cool. You're like me. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I think it's, it's okay. I, yeah. I. I think his films are poorly edited yes and and knowing how christopher nolan likes having a hand in every aspect of his filmmaking um i do not blame the editor i'm sure it's just how nolan wants things to happen stuff it works for something like memento yeah but uh he also does a lot of the same things over and over i don't know there's just he's fine they always sound good yeah they're always very interesting concepts uh the execution of it as a film is sometimes like fine but i know that around the time the dark knight came out I was like, this guy's fucking incredible. He can do no wrong. And, and then, then... And then... <laughs> I don't know. Uh, in the same way that, you know, the the world has soured on Chris Pratt kind of thing, where it's like, there isn't like one inciting incident. It's kind of like they just kept talking and you're like, don't know. Uh, I don't think I like you anymore. And I can't pinpoint why. You just kind of kept saying and doing stuff. And now I'm over you. Yeah. And it's... <laughs> I just... I just... Yeah. I'm very over Chris Pratt. I think it's... He was great in Guardians. 
and yeah i feel like the same is happening to ryan reynolds yeah we're like i don't know like i just i i totally i think he's he's awesome i love uh deadpool i i don't hate him or the stuff that he's in but it's like but i don't really care i'm not gonna watch a movie just because he's in it anymore i might have some years ago yeah it's like dwayne johnson now as well i watched um i was trying to watch jungle cruise that is a hard film to watch (laughs) um but it's just like some films i'm like yeah you're in too much now you're actually in too much yeah it could just be like oversaturation or overexposure one of those yeah and i mean like also i feel you know like I don't know, maybe Tom Holland might experience the same thing. <laughs> He's like about to be Uncharted, uh, Dra- uh, Nathan Drake in Uncharted. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I just think that, like, that I'm just going to walk into that film and go, uh huh, uh huh, okay. Um, I'm more excited for a Tomb Raider sequel than this. <laughs> um, but maybe that's because also I just kind of like looking at Alicia Vikander's more and enjoying the fact that that movie is quite fun and ludicrous. <laughs> Um, it's got Walter Goggins in it. It has got Walter go <laughs> Walter Goggins. <laughs> Great actor. I mean, him in Ant-Man 2, Ant-Man and the Wasp, happily, happily watched him at that as a petty criminal. That was great. He's in that Community um, episode. He's great. Oh, he's, you know what, though? Community went downhill after the first two seasons. There's a, there's the thing as well. Like, we have the tendency to beat things like a dead horse. And I feel like movie cinema and and stuff like that tend to you know like i was watching a netflix film uh single all the way the other day which uh my partner and i decided to put on and we were like this seems like a nice happy go lucky film and got very bored of it very quickly (laughs) by the bad acting the bad writing and the the bad lighting of sets because it was all very flat it was very felt like a netflix tick the box kind of movie i was was about to ask if it was yeah a netflix movie because that yeah and that's the thing they there's something about their productions they seem cheap and then cowboy bebop was like they didn't do that it was so much money yeah in it that made a difference and it's but those other films are gonna make people are gonna watch it and they're gonna count that that as a view yeah and it's going to see much easier return because it's it's just cheaper to make. It's so interesting because it's like I would rather watch something that looks more expensive and has time and thought put into it than, um, but, you know, also they like they've recently commissioned shows like um, uh, their fantasy ones. Like they've got The Witcher. Oh, yeah, Witcher season two just released. Yeah, which is massive for them. Um, such a huge budget on that show. And I think there's another, Shadow and Bone, which also got a massive following. Um, like, shows like that where everyone's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Um, you know, but their production cost seems quite high. But I just can't always seem to get into them. I don't know. I haven't watched The Witcher. Apparently, everyone loves it. I enjoyed season one a lot, and I'm, I'm planning on watching season two. I, I've got to watch it because everyone says season two is way better. But I'm, it also felt like Game of Thrones to me, and I was just like, I wasn't a fan of Game of Thrones. I hate-watched Game of Thrones. You hate-watched it? Yeah. That is that is interesting. Once once it deviated from the books, and not not in like a book purist way, but where it, when it deviated in a way that really skewed character development yeah where it was like it happened and i was like oh that was supposed to be a giant character moment what the fuck are they gonna do now and then every season after that just got worse and worse and worse but i had no more books to read so i was like i'm gonna fucking watch this show and just complain every (laughs) after every episode i loved it i like hate watching stuff though (laughs) um 
like George R. R. Martin's written a fair bunch of books and I think it was like what was it? Um there was a Netflix show that they made about a science fiction horror series that he wrote, like a novella. I can't remember the knife of me, what it was called. But, um, yeah, it flopped. It did massively bad. Like, the reviews were terrible. I'm like, everyone was like, oh, but George R. R. Martin wrote it. And I'm like, this doesn't mean that it will be good. Like, automatically, because if you wrote Game of Thrones, it doesn't translate that he can write every genre. And also, I think there's an element, there's a lot of elements I don't like about Game of Thrones. I think the fact, it's got some interesting elements and then it's kind of just got, it's got excessive nudity in that show, which, you know, like, probably to the point of a bit obtuse. It, it tapers off as it goes forward. Yeah. The I've actors heard. start getting more clout and they start being like, no, I'm not getting naked anymore. But I feel like The Witcher also apparently was like that in its first season. There was just a lot of nudity and then there was less nudity. I, apparently it just gets better. <laughs> I don't know if, like, Netflix have the... I don't think... Although I feel like HBO have a tick quota, they've got to be like, oh, there's got to be some nudity in this show. There's got to be some, like... They have a lot of shows that have a lot of excessive things in them. And I feel like that's why probably, like, Game of Thrones, like, they've got the prequel they're making right now. Yeah. Which I don't know why. If you want to see Matt Smith's butt, now's the time. <laughs> I mean, not particularly. But... <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm pretty sure there are probably some fans out there, but I mean, like... I also feel like TV's losing its originality. Like, it's it's really trying to, you know, once Game of Thrones was done, they were trying to just, like, sink their teeth into something new and do another Game of Thrones because everyone thinks that people still love it. It's like how YA novels were everywhere as movies. Yeah. And then it, and that eventually died off. It always shifts. But one, one thing that I will say with HBO is uh, I read about this a bit when Game of Thrones ended. And it was that HBO are apparently the kind of company, like production company, that will hire on some creative or showrunner because they like their idea and they like what they want to do with it. And they'll basically just give them money to make whatever they want. They're a pretty hands-off studio, Mm. Um, which is one of the reasons why. And sometimes it can work out great, like, you know, Chernobyl or something like that, or True Detective, like the the first season. I think Mm. everyone really enjoyed the third season as well. Or it can completely crash and burn when you have showrunners that don't give a fuck. Because mm. apparently HBO were like, hey, we'll give you like whatever you want. If you want to do this for another three seasons, we got you. We'll pay you the money. And they were like, no, we just want to do one more season, like kind of thing, or two more, wherever they were at. And HBO were just like, okay, like it's your it's your show. We're hands off. You do what you want. And then it and then it crashed and burned. So from from what I what little I understand, it seems like I feel like HBO uh hopefully in the end going to be you know the opposite to netflix netflix will fund a lot of stuff and they'll make so much content and because of that budgets get spread thin and hbo max gets a lot of content but at the same time hbo will just throw money at these creatives and be like you've got this cool idea just make it do whatever you want yeah and there is some really good stuff i don't know if you get do you get hbo max in australia at all binges are hbo max they um dealership thing where it's like they get all the hbo content on binge which is how i saw the Zack snyder cut um oh so good so good four four hours of my life it doesn't it doesn't look like it doesn't look like you enjoyed it as much it was four i gave those four hours twice i watched it twice you watched it twice you know what i did love the whole ending 
The whole ending was amazing. That epilogue could have been cut. That epilogue could have been cut. That's oh, God, yeah. The, you know, also what could have been cut? The Martian Manhunter? Whole section could just not have been in the movie and it probably wouldn't have changed much. The one defense that I'll give it <laughs> because of that stuff, because of people saying how it's too long and there's a lot of bloated stuff, especially all the epilogue stuff yeah. in Martian Manhunter, which is true. Based on, I don't know if you ever read the Variety interview with Zack Snyder about this whole process. Oh, I vaguely, yeah, remember. Like, Warner Brothers did not want to do, like, put the money up to release this. Like, they just wanted to release his unfinished version. And Snyder was like, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. So I always see Zack Snyder's Justice League as the idea that this is, you know, a director who gets to put out what his original vision of something was. There's no promise Mm. for a DVD release. There's no promise that all these deleted scenes will appear somewhere because the studio doesn't want to do all this extra stuff. They don't want to spend more money than they have to. Uh, So I saw it as like, he just put in absolutely everything because there's probably not going to be any special features. There's probably not going to be any deleted scenes, behind the scenes, extra stuff. So if it's not in his cut of the movie, it's going to be gone forever. So I think he just, you know, threw a Hail Mary Mm. and he was like, I'm going to put in everything I filmed and everything that I wanted to put in there and then just release that. So all the stuff about like this could be cut and that could be cut. It's like, I'm sure that's true. And if he got to release it theatrically, probably would have been cut. Yeah. But it's not going to when he released it as a, no one is ever going to see this unless I release it in this film. Yeah, 100%. I mean, like, and also I will say this, it is thoroughly enjoyable and it makes um, Man of Steel and Batman v Superman way more enjoyable. Like, absolutely way more enjoyable, even though I think those movies have more problems because of studio interference and everything. Oh, yeah. I do think that it completed a nice trilogy and it it also set up a lot of interesting things for the future and it was kind of a shame that they were negated because of studio interference. Like, they were just gone, oh, you can't do what you want to do. Yeah. And this was clearly meant to be a trilogy kind of starting up point for the franchise oh yeah i want i wanted a cyborg solo movie after watching the snyder cut like what an what an interesting interesting character and interesting ideas of what this character can deal with and do i was like i i want this movie it's like did did the studio or joss whedon just walk on set and be like cyborg sounds fucking stupid cut him out (laughs) i don't want any of him in this film what's the least amount of scenes we can have this character in i want to go out of my way to make this character a nothing in this film when he was one of the most important characters originally. I mean, also, like, talking about cancel culture, Joss Whedon is someone who I can only watch Firefly now, um, realistically. I I struggle to watch Buffy because it's slightly dated now. Um, But even then, it's kind of a shame that, like, he kind of burnt, you know, he just ended up being a plate arsehole. Well, I think he never got better than... I mean, I know there's a lot of other stuff about him, but I felt like his writing never got, never progressed further than 90s Buffy. God, no. In that, like, you know, the way that he will portray these women, it's like, hey, it's so great and they're so strong and all that kind of stuff. And they're strong for the time, but I don't think he ever progressed more than that. It was always this, like, I don't know, fetishizing strong women, kicking butt and being sexy and having sex and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's like, which at the time, great. And then 20 years later, I guess you realize, oh, you were still that same kind of asshole. And because you're still kind of doing it now, it's obvious that you weren't actually that progressive. You just wanted to have hot women kicking butt because you found it hot, not because 
it was an empowering thing to do. God, no. And it's so, like, you can clearly see that in Avengers and Avengers 2, Age of Ultron. Oh, the Black Widow. I can't have children. I'm a monster. Look, this is contentional because I really enjoyed Black Widow's solo movie. I also just love Scarlett Johansson in most things that she does because she's a very character-based actor. Um, but I do think that those films, um, and you know, and like John Favreau has even admitted that and he was like, "Look, had been hindsight, I probably would have done different stuff with Black Widow when I originally introduced her because I was very young and stupid and not as you know informative as I am now." Um, but he has developed a lot and he has a huge hand in how, um, Marvel MCU is shaping and everything like that. Yeah. Cause they also got rid of that, that middle, there was some middleman at Disney. Yeah. Who, yeah. was very active on like, you know, female led things are for Disney princesses and the female market and MCU action movies are for the boy market and that demographic. And apparently he was the big obstacle of having any kind of Black Widow solo movie or progression. And then... Feige got enough uh, clout and influence they could be like, hey, let's just get rid of this guy. I can just report to you guys directly. And they're like, great idea. And then all of a sudden, oh, Black Widow movie is on the is on the table. And I mean, like, it's so interesting that that movie, you know, unfortunately, like the pandemic really hit a lot of the big release films. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It messed up a lot of stuff. Yeah. I watched that one on Disney Plus, but I, I do love it because it's sort of very, it's very kind of clear that they it was female directed it was female written um i had a really good sense of you know the problems that um you know like she was facing as a person and then you know like it didn't negate everything and it's really interesting because it's the same as like people go oh things are getting too political nowadays it's like no we're just progressing into the modern age and people are having more opinions out there i hate this whole pc everyone's going you're being too pc and bullshit like that it's the art industry is about progression and, and change and, and making a new. Yeah. Do you know how little effort it takes on our part to make someone else feel like seen and comfortable? It's, it takes it takes nothing. Why is this not a big deal? But I mean, I mean, like also, though, unfortunately, in our position of of, of life, we are also like just part of this big category of, you know, white men sort of society being a problem and a stickler. And we are changing things, but, you know, having a lot of, um, you know, women and, um, you know, different um, gender um, pronouns and everything in society and in technical roles that it's never phased us, but it seems to phase a lot of people who are older than us um, who go, oh, why would you be any different than the <laughs> the normal that we know? And it. I think it's just yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of opportunities for people that are coming in now, that they you know like even when we were studying weren't there, they just weren't. Yeah, and I mean that's to do with with a lot of my stuff, the work that I've got and where I've gotten to. So much of that is like because of my position in life that I I know of, even just financially, like moving to the U.S. and making the U.S. work is such a financial burden, and I I'm in like an absolute privileged position of like in a family that is you know not millionaires but in a a good spot because they have built up and had advantages in their life and that's given me advantages to be able to have money to come over here and make this work mm. and i'm absolutely sure that a lot of immigration things being from australia helps 
I mean, the visa I'm currently on is specifically because of Australia to US. It's a specific Australian visa that I wouldn't have if I was going for any other country. And the difference in money is thousands of dollars. Mm. And even the green card that I've currently been selected for, which is also just ridiculous luck, to because it's a lottery, it's the, divi- the diversity visa lottery. It's just absolute luck to be picked for it. But even then, it like it makes it seem like, hey, you can apply from any country in the world with the exception of like a handful. Uh, and then we randomly pick you and you pay like 14 bucks to enter this visa and we might pick you and you'll get a green card. But what they don't tell you is that it's such a process that you need to hire an immigration lawyer and then you need to pay like two and a half thousand dollars to that immigration lawyer. And then you're going to have to pay like another five hundred dollars for a specific medical exam. You're going to have to do all this stuff. It's like this is this is how they barrier out, you know, quote unquote undesirables. Or, you know, continually add yeah. these obstacles to people who don't have the money to give themselves advantages is they just put up these walls and it's like, oh, you don't have the money? Well, well too bad. Get fucked. Go go do something else. And it's and it and it sucks. And the only the only thing that I know I feel like we can try and do is in the positions that we get to just make opportunities for other people. Or try and be in those positions where it's like, sweet, I have authority. I mean, I'm in the position that I'm in, I don't think I can ever get to authority and <laughs> become a supervisor. But I like dialogue editing so much. But yeah, it's just, I don't know. You just try and be as helpful and as open as possible and and not be like one of those assholes who like, yep, I came over and I did this and it was so easy and it wasn't a problem and everyone should do it and everyone should make it happen. It's like, that's not, that's not the case. Not everyone can do it through and not because they don't want to. It's just people don't have the means. It's real difficult. And I, and I just feel like you don't want to be one of those people that ticks boxes and goes, I need to, you know, it's like I have so many people in my life that I know have skills. I know are different uh, genders and different, um, you know, cultures and backgrounds and they've all got the skills. And yet I'm just like, I want to bring you on because I like working with you. Not because... Of, you know, like, I just enjoy your company and therefore I will work with you and I know you've got the skills to comprehend and do the work. And there's so many other people who just go, no, they're not not the face we're looking for. I'm like, what do you mean? They've got the skills. They're good. They're like eight years experience. Shut the fuck up. Like, it just baffles me. I was just going to say, did you ever see the film In a World? No. I think it's, might have been from like somewhere around mid 2010s or something like that. But it was it was this film about the you know the vo- the trailer voice they're like in a world oh yes of, I can't do it because I'm not a voice actor <laughs> but yeah that voice it was a film it wasn't a documentary it was like a, a fictionalized film of like you know that guy is retiring and all these these voice actors they're like I want that job and there was you know the the elderly guy who's been in the industry forever and has always kind of been the secondary voice to this guy. And he's like, you know, I've earned it. I deserve it. Even though he's a fucking rich, you know, millionaire and he doesn't need anything. And he's dating someone who's like 20 years old when he's like 50. Uh, And then there's another guy who's, you know, younger and has a, has a great voice for it, but he's also like just a bit of an asshole and a bit of a dick. And he's like privileged. Uh, and then the the character that it follows is this woman who is a voice actress and she wants to break in and do it and she wants to just give it a shot and whatever. Yeah. Um, and all the characters, you know, the, all the characters are like kind of assholes in their own way and entitled. Um, but I'm going to spoil the end of the film because I didn't even know where you can watch it. Um, but she ends up getting the job for b- replacing this voice 
and there's this scene where she's talking to the woman who you know made the decision and she's like oh, i'm so grateful that you thought i was the best voice and and this woman who was the one who decided she gets the job she was like you weren't the best voice i just wanted to make a statement because i'm in a position to do that now and everyone else has gotten jobs that they don't deserve from people who are in positions that just saw themselves in the talent she's like and now it's my turn so you get the job and you get to like make this change in the world because fuck it why not and i was like that's so great i was like that is such a legitimate like reason for something to happen is yeah. like i'm now in a position of authority so now i get to give people who maybe don't deserve the job but i want to make a statement it's like it's not, yeah i was like i love that i love it that's great it's so interesting such a, such a that good, that's like a good thing the angle they took that because that's so true yeah, i'm gonna like, do this because i want to everyone else has gotten to why can't i why can't i make this decision oh my god that's so fucked that's so true but it's so fucked like what <laughs> there's there's so many we all know this isn't a meritocracy <laughs> <laughs> oh my god oh my god what is wrong with the world i don't even know we've got many 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 problems um <laughs> but i think that's a perfect time to wrap us up um but i want to say thank you for chatting with me todd it's been an absolute pleasure that's all right thanks for having me on um now the question next is when can they, where can they stalk you and your work where can they find your delightful work? Uh, on IMDb is kind of the best place. LinkedIn is so, like, gaudy professional. Uh, Todd Jacobs, in brackets, number four. I'm the fourth Todd Jacobs on IMDb, apparently. You can see all my wonderful Lifetime Christmas movies that I worked on listed there. <laughs> where for a time I got called by some guy at Universal. Oh, you're the Christmas guy. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. That was before I got to work there. Uh, but yeah, on social media, I'm... Uh, binary underscore analog on basically everything awesome well go and go and talk todd out it's actually it's 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 worth a check out because he's done some awesome stuff over the years since he uh fucked off to la he's done some he's done some amazing stuff and one thing i will say i do miss seeing you quite regularly here at australia even though i know you're having a great time over there it is it is something that yeah the last two years have been like i do miss todd I do miss like going to the movies and yeah, I I intended to come back once a year, and then and then something happened. I don't know. What yeah, it was. something happened after July 2019 <laughs> that prevented me from coming back to Australia once a year like I planned to. Maybe maybe something happened in February of um uh, February or March 2020, <laughs> just like kind of fucked the world. Yeah, some, something. Yeah, there. Something. something there. I don't know. It's a bit <laughs> of a blur. It's a bit of a blur. Who knows? I don't know. They pump me full of drugs. I don't know what's happening. Anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But if you want to go check out more episodes of the things we do, you can check them out on Apple and Spotify. I'll be talking with another guest next week, and I'll speak to you all later. Goodbye. Bye.